So from Joshua chapter 4. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. And ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place, where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. And take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan. The water of Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the numbers of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the Ark stood in the midst of Jordan, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over, that the Ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About forty thousand prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him, as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks, as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Thank you, JP. Short notice, so thank you. Let us pray before we go to the word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we 
Again, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we have it in our hands, that we can read it, that we can look upon it. Lord, would you help me to proclaim it? Father, would you help everyone to hear it? And Lord, uh, my imperfections, Lord, would you uh, take those away and that people would see your word clearly and uh, profoundly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, A few weeks ago, I was at the local registry's office here in Lacombe and something to do with registering the new new baby in uh, Georgiana. And uh, the lady at the uh, counter asked me, uh, does she have a middle name? Uh, I said, well, yes, but I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was. (laughs) So I kind of stuttered and hummed a bit, hoping to buy some time, and uh, I finally had to tell the lady, "Ah, I don't remember. And it was kind of embarrassing, and and, uh, I saw her kind of looking like, what kind of a a father doesn't remember his daughter's name? So I said, well, I'll go get my phone, and I didn't want to call Jen, of course, I, but I remember all the texts I sent out when she was born. So um, I, uh, but then, but then it came to mind. So uh, worst, worst part of it was that it was my my mother's name. So <laughs> it was uh, pretty, pretty embarrassing. So now all this to say that how easy it is to forget things, and some are not that serious, like this one or birthdays, or well, maybe birthdays for some, but, uh, and have little consequences, but some are, are very serious, <clears throat> and especially when it comes to things of the word of God and his works. Forgetting those can be very deadly and very harmful to us for our own spiritual growth, for our families, for the church at large, and um, it has caused much grief when we do that, and God's correcting hand is upon us when we do. All around us, we see memorials in our towns. We remember those that have sacrificed in world wars, in perhaps other great events. There's memorials for maybe accidents or plane crashes or for important figures or institutions that have a great impact on our country or region as a whole. And of course, when you go to the cemetery, you see stones of remembrance as a lasting memorial to those we have loved. <clears throat> so the chief point of this chapter is to remember, that I want to focus on, is to remember the works and the ways of, of God and for his glory and for his good and what he has done for his people. And i like to focus on that this morning. So last time we looked at chapter 3, uh, that great event of the, the crossing of the river, the Jordan, uh, Joshua had prepared his people for it and how the waters parted. It was clearly a, uh, clearly a miracle. Um, and the ark of the Lord had gone ahead. And as they stood there on the edge, the waters stood up like a dam, a great heap. It was an unmistakable miracle. And unlike the modern scholars that said, well, maybe there was an earthquake or something like that, uh, it was a great miracle. Psalm 114 Five, the psalmist recalls this miracle. He, he, he writes, What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou was driven back? And he is saying, That was not normal what happened. The, the rivers had stopped. And he's saying, what is, What's wrong with you, Jordan? What, what happened to you? What stopped? And verse 7, he says, Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the majesty of the God of Jacob. 
So the majesty and the power and the holiness of God had gone before the nation all those years. They had seen it firsthand. There was that ark, there was that visible cloud, there was that um, pillar of fire by night that assured them of God's nearness and of his faithfulness. Now in this chapter, we see a little bit of a repetition of what happened in the first, in the, in the previous chapter. And you see that more in Joshua. It's kind of how he writes at first glance. It may be a little bit confusing as he closes one part of a story and, or seemingly closes one start. And then he, he, he goes back to that story again to add some more details. And that is the pattern we see in this chapter as well. But the whole form forms one great pattern and message. We see here in this chapter the priests are climbing out of the Jordan a couple times, for instance. Uh, and some liberals have, again, have speculated that these are two stories put together much later, not written by one author, and have cast doubt upon the scripture. Um, Dem Butter, who is a, his commentary, he writes, <clears throat> we need to recognize the facts that our standards for writing history are not necessarily the same standards as those of the ancient Middle East. Perhaps the author had a particular purpose in mind when he recorded the account this way. The repetition may have been emphasized for an important element. And that's then butter. So we see in this chapter Another look concerning the miracle of the crossing. It's clearly mentioned that it was the miracle as soon as the priest got out of the water, the water closed. But today I would like to, as I said, mainly focus on the memorial aspect of what God has done. Which the writer actually gives out more ink to than the miracle itself. It seems to say what good is a miracle if we are going to forget it quickly. You could divide this chapter roughly in two portions up to verse 15. It's written from the standpoint outside of the promised land and then afterwards inside, from 15 onwards to the end, inside the promised land. <clears throat> so in this first section, we look back a little bit. Maybe you recall in that third chapter, there was the mention of the, of the 12 men that he had picked out from the tribes of Israel in Joshua 3 verse 2 and now he comes back to these and the, write, the writer tells them how um, or Joshua tells them the instructions to them these were a different group than the priests that were carrying the ark these men were specially prepared chosen for the job no doubt Joshua had picked a, uh, some solid folks there some uh, men of good report as they would be participant in the raising of the, a monument to the glory of God. And they were willing men, and they also, as we see, they finished the task they were asked to do. And Joshua took care of this right after the miracle had happened. It was still obviously fresh in his mind and in the people's mind, and the enthusiasm would be very elevated and very high, and one from each tribe, and also those two and a half tribes that are actually going to locate on the other side of, of the Jordan, but they had promised Moses they, they'd be willing to fight for the nation as a whole, and they, they wouldn't sit 
uh, sit it out on the other side, uh, not doing nothing, but they would unite as a united force, drive out the Canaanites. <clears throat> Note in uh, verse 3, these stones were taken from the middle of the Jordan. There where the priests had stood. And there, more importantly, where the ark of the Lord had been. It was the deepest place. Normally, you couldn't pick stones from it. You couldn't access it. And that's where these large stones, uh, would, large enough to create a memorial, would be taken from. They were not just little pebbles they could uh, put in their pocket or something. They were large stones. <clears throat> and there were two memorials. One was set up by Joshua in the midst of the Jordan, verse 9, at the very spot where the ark rested, perhaps only to be seen when the flow was lower, not all the time of the year, and maybe half the time of the year at that very spot. And at the other spot was at Gilgal, verse 19, where they would first camp. Now, Gilgal will also be kind of an, an headquarters of where the nation would come back to as they conquer different places. So whenever they had done exploits or, or wars, they would return back and they would be reminded of this memorial. They would once again see it. Most importantly, what did these stones speak of? Many years later, their children would be asking, well, what's, who are by nature curious, right? Asking lots of questions. And they would be asking their fathers in verse 6 and 21, what are these stones about? That monument was not just for this generation, but it was also meant for the generations to come as a, as a teaching moment. It was meant to keep the flame of faith alive, a visible sign for the people. It is great when we are in high spirits and remember what God did yesterday, of course, and we are full of faith, but when we are in a, in a valley, in a down period, uh, we need to remember what happens on the mountaintop. We remember what God has done for us and in history. And Israel, of course, was not unfamiliar with memorials of stone or monuments. Although it had been a while ago, we remember Jacob, he had set up a pillar. He used that stone that he had laid his head on. He put it on a pillar, poured oil on it, and as a place to remember. <clears throat> it's a place where God had spoken to him in a dream and given him promises, given him promises concerning the land and his nearness to him. Remember in Genesis 28, 17, he says, he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? It is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. <clears throat> his dream had caused him to see the majesty of God, had given him a holy awe and reverence for him. A memorial to the goodness of God and the mercy that Jacob was shown. And he was saying at the time, I will not forget this place. I will not forget what God has done to me. Other times an altar was erected in memory of God's goodness like Abraham. Or some Abraham as well planted a grove. And <clears throat> these are places and objects that directed their thoughts to God pointed the people and the generations that were to follow to God and all that he had done in history. And they would have to remember this because there was many times where there was deep 
trouble as a nation. But by these, they could remember that what God starts, he also finishes. And there is an assumption in this chapter that the people are prone to forget what God has done in the past. Deuteronomy 8, perhaps you can go there with me. Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 10. Moses warns the people, of course he knows them. When thou hast eaten, Deuteronomy 8 verse 10, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgment and his statutes which I have commanded thee. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold are multiplied, and all that thou hast has multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which had brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. <clears throat> Amazing how easy we forget God's good deeds towards us, and how dishonoring it is to him when we forget what he has done. Psalm 106 is a one big lament of the psalmist. And he says, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity and done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They did not understand it. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. All the mercies they had shown, they were many times forgotten. And then he goes on to speak in the Psalm 106 about the marvelous way that Pharaoh and all his host got defeated. The waters covered them, all of them. Not one of them was left. Then verse 12 says, Then believed they his words. They sung the song of praise. You remember the song of Moses, the horse and rider thrown into a sea. For a moment, they were full of happiness when they had just witnessed that miracle. But then again, they became slow and dull of heart. Going on in that psalm, verse 13, it said, They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsels. And then he continues to recall the sins of the people, the revolt against Moses, the people that were swallowed alive, 250 men burned up alive, Verse 21 says, They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. You can look at that whole psalm at home. It's a long psalm, but it gives you the sad litany of Israel and their proneness to forget. And you can see the results of that forgetfulness. Forgetfulness often reveals our ingratitude when we're thankless, we're probably not thinking about the blessings and the mercies of God and what he has done in the past. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not all his benefits. Especially in years of plenty, when God, it's easy to forget God. Proverbs 
He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? That's what Pharaoh said too, right? Who is the Lord? Why would I listen to him? And let us never think that as believers we are immune to that. That somehow we won't be um, prone to forget what God has done. And the great enemies of faith, the great enemy of faith is forgetfulness. And Joshua, of course, was very aware of this. He had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. The root of that was unbelief, forgetting what God has done, forgetting his statutes, his law, and it greatly hampered their spiritual well-being. I was visiting a friend who has been diagnosed with um, Parkinson's. He's not that old, 65 and um, humanly speaking, it doesn't look good. It's not a, a pleasant, non-disease non, non is pleasant, but it's a slow and, and agonizing disease. And when I spoke to him about it, he could barely speak about the disease, but with a bright face, and he's always been like that, he spoke about the mercies of God and his goodness, the goodness of God. It was a very convicting conversation. <clears throat> it was heartfelt. He had a heartfelt thankfulness to God, and especially as he reflected on the gospel, what Christ had done for him. So Joshua remembered all too well what had happened to Israel, and that's why he's stressing these. He doesn't say only not to, re to remember, but also to teach them and to teach the children. Miracles would not come around every week or every few weeks. Uh, throughout scripture, we see that miracles uh, are coming batches. Sometimes there are seasons of them, and other times there's long periods where they do not happen. And this was a place that the children could be taught. <clears throat> Memorials like this, the Passover, the Sabbath, other feast days, all pointed on what God had done in the past and also pointed forward to what the Lord Jesus Christ would do in the future. These are big stones. They were one point in time laying in the middle of the Jordan, the water raging over it, often a picture of judgment and death. Think of Noah, think of the Pharaoh, think of the armies. And once Israel had been in subjection to Egypt, a flood of misery had come over them, hasn't it? Swept over them. They were like stones that were useless, only useless for, useful for a little bit, and they were thrown out. The whole journey, these stones would also pick out, or the memorial would also point out, that the whole journey from Egypt that now had come to an end was divinely guided, as is the whole of the Christian life, isn't it? From beginning to the end, God is the starter of that, and he is the finisher as well. Without me, you can do nothing, says the Lord Jesus. We need constantly to be reminded of our need of him. <coughs> the stone spoke of deliverance out of a seemingly impossible situation that only God could rescue them from. As we looked at last time, it was at the highest, the, the water was at the highest position of the year, and God dried up the water. 
And again and again, God had throughout their journey revealed himself and done the impossible. These stones also spoke of obedience, that it was necessary. Remember, the priests and the people had to go to the edge of the water, and then the water stopped. So when the fathers would tell the children this, they needed to, that to be taught as well. He encourages his people by bringing them over dry land. And he also shows the heathen nations that are living on the other side that none can stand against them. He destroyed proud Pharaoh with water and he saves his people. This morning, are you like Jonah perhaps? When he was in the belly of the whale, Jonah 2 verse 2, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and thou hearest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, the floods come past me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Are you looking at your difficulties? Of course, Jonah got there by his own sin, but are you looking this morning at your difficulties, your worries, your perplexities? They seem like a flood mounting up upon you. Maybe you see difficulties ahead or potential difficulties. They loom over you. They cast a dark shadow on everything. Now, what did Jonah do? There in the midst of the belly of that fish. Verse 4. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will again look towards thy holy temple. My soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Jonah looked away from his difficulties, and they were bad. Imagine being stuck in the juices, digestive juices of a whale. It's not a pretty place to be. Uh, normally, your time would be very short. You'd be dissolved. But at that time, and most importantly, at that time, he looks and he remembers the Lord to his covenant, to his mercies, what God had shown him in the past, the good times, because he was a prophet, the profitable times he'd had with God, and he remembered that God was ready to forgive, and he looked to the temple in heaven, and to the God of the temple, and all that he represents. He looks to the mercy seat in that temple, to life and his faith and his hope. What does Paul say to the Philippian church? Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. Are you, by practice this morning or throughout your Christian life with your family, are you looking, are you considering, are you meditating on the things of God, what he has done in the past? Is your mind, as it were, filled with memorials of what God has done, of all his goodness he has shown to you? to sinners. 
like me and what he is going to do in the future. When it says in verse 7 <clears throat> that these stones shall be for a memorial forever, as far as we know, they're not there to be found today. Maybe they're buried, who knows. But we have the written word of God. We may not see those memorials uh, in person, but we gain faith and we teach our children to read and hear the living God and grow thereby. Our faith is boosted thereby. It's preserved for us. This testimony we have in our laps, we have in our homes. We can go to it 24 hours a day and we can read it again and again. And they're more powerful yet than these stones here in Gilgal. We also meditate, so not only meditate upon the the deeds of God in history that we find in his word, but as I said earlier, to you as well. And how he has um, shown goodness and patience to you and me. Are you telling, telling your children about these? The stories that they can tell their children. The answered prayers, the mercies, the faithfulness of his provision. The deliverance from evil, the recalling of the time of your conversion in particular. When we think on those things and meditate on those things, there will be little room left for despair, isn't there? Or doubt, unbelief. There'll be little room for the hardening into sin or rebellion. So remembering the goodness of God is a, is a great sanctifier for us and if you're a Christian this morning if you're a believer then are you also not a, a living memorial to the goodness of God of his love and his mercy you were once a dead stone you were rejected you were cold stone dead to the things of God and the Lord Jesus <clears throat> you were stone that lay deep in the rivers of sin of the world hardened in darkness and in misery. A stone that was used for the building of another kingdom, of Satan and his kingdom. But you have been translated into the kingdom of light. First Peter 2.4 talks about it. We have, gone, we have gone to the living stone, the Lord Jesus, who was discarded by men, but chosen by God. And he is that precious cornerstone of who we build our own lives. And if we've come to a place of trust in him, in his person, his finished work on the cross, we become lively stones, don't we? We're built up in a spiritual house that can never be destroyed. As, 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 as we are building upon the cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together, grow it into an holy temple to the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So you are, if you're a believer, a living memorial, one that reflects the kingdom of God for all to see. He has plucked you out of misery, out of our sin, and placed us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And look around you this morning to your brothers and sisters 
and see what God has done in each of their lives. They are a memorial to the mercy and to the goodness of God. Are you that light in a dark world? Are you that in a pagan world? When people see us or the church in general, do they see something different? Do people see when they see a they interact with you, do they say, what's, what's the deal with these Christians? Do we live in such a way as a memorial to the goodness of God that people would ask us, as Peter spoke, speaks about, about the hope that lies within us? Paul writes in Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and preserved reverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The Lord Jesus first said that let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father <coughs> which is in heaven. Likewise the memorial stones in Gilgal were set up in a pagan place. It was now a beacon right in their territory to proclaim the power of God. The Canaanite nation would, bit, would be bit by bit driven out of the country. Their dominance would crumble. Now think of what the gospel has accomplished in the last 2,000 years. So, <clears throat> think of the, the whole nations it has changed, steeped in paganism, in hedonism, and especially if you think of the Protestant Reformation or other countries, think of Korea where the gospel came and changed nations idols were removed and churches were set up proclaiming the goodness of God the Lord of the church is building his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it <coughs> Joshua 4:24. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So it was not only an instruction to the people of Israel, but also to the pagan nations around. So that they too, like, like Rahab, we looked at Rahab a few weeks ago, would come to fear and to worship him. We also see in this chapter the exaltation of as promised of Joshua back in chapter 1 and chapter 3 he was promised that he would be magnified in the sight of all Israel they feared him as they had done Moses no doubt this miracle would be a firm establishment of his replacement of Moses and we see that the people obey him the priests obey him when it comes to the stones and as a good leader, he teaches, teaches his people not to look to himself, but to remember God, to look to him, and to remember his great deeds. If they, would, if they would do that, it would go well with him. Here we see a similarity with the Lord Jesus, the start of his ministry, when he was baptized in Jordan by John. And God spoke there, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew Henry makes an interesting observation 
when John talks to the Pharisees who are heckling him, <clears throat> he points to stones and he says, God can raise up from these stones children. And uh, maybe it was the stones that they were set up, no one knows, but it's an interesting uh, account. Last week we celebrated and we remembered the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his memorial supper instituted by himself. We do it in remembrance of him who became sin for us, who took upon himself the wrath that we deserve and made us accepted in him and dressed us with his righteousness and cleansed us from all sin. We are no different than ancient Israel. We need reminders also. And God, in his mercy, gave us his supper. That, as often as we do, is, do it, we remember that greatest miracle of all and greatest work of all, the work on the cross by our Lord and the new birth. The Lord's Supper represents God's powerful work on behalf of his people. And when our children or visitors ask us what, what is this bread, this wine, it's a great teaching opportunity to teach them about the gospel, about the bad news of a sinners, that they are standing between a great divide between God and themselves. It cannot be crossed by works or endeavors by human hands or building a bridge of some type. <clears> Though <throat> millions are trying to build their own bridge in various ways, idols, works, making a God in their own image, but are swept away by its strong currents. But God has appointed a way, full and free, safe and glorious to bring us across in the person and the work of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to close by reading Romans 3 about that gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. I declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for a reminder of all the goodness that you have shown to your people throughout history. Lord, Father, we are prone to forget. We are prone to cast doubt upon your works or we may have doubt about your work towards us, doubt about your goodness, your mercy towards us. Father, will you help us to recall all those mercies in your word and personally to us throughout our life that you have shown to us. Oh Lord, help us to talk about them to our children when we rise up and when we sit around the table, when we go to bed, Lord, that we teach them, point them, to the God that provides, that cares for his people, that when he starts a work, he finishes it. 
And Lord, we thank you for that. Father, I pray for everyone, anyone here that is not a believer, that has never placed his or her trust in Christ. Father, still building their own bridge, perhaps, or just dead. Father, would you aliven them? Would you awaken them? Would you cause the waters of sin and misery to, to part and that you would shine light upon them and make them living stones? In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.